And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Joshua Wall walks in, got the one Major Junior. This is Logan Stankoven. I play for the Cowboys Blazers. Hey, it's Matt Potter from the Guelph Storm. This is Axler LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Nathai Gaucher. I play for the Quebec Ramparts. Hey, guys. This is Ty Nelson from the North Day Battalion, and this is the Pipeline Show. NCAA. This is Ryan McAllister for the Western Michigan Broncos. This is Wyatt Kaiser from Minnesota Duluth. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. The NHL Draft. This is Adam Fantilli of the University of Michigan. This is Ryan Leonard. I play for Team USA. I'm Nate Danielson of the Brandon Lee Kings. My name is Adam Guyam. I'm playing for Chippewa Field. Hi, I'm Grayson Sochin. I'm with the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, this is Jacob Fowler, goaltender for the Youngstown Phantoms. I'm Connor Bedard for the Regina Pats, and this is the Pipeline Show. And more. Brandon! This is the Pipeline Show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Pipeline Show. My name is Guy Flaming. It is a pleasure for me to have you listening in this week. If you are downloading this week's episode from wherever, Spotify or iTunes or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from, I'm thrilled that you're along for the ride. If you're listening at edmontonsportstalk.com, that would mean it's either a Saturday afternoon or a Monday evening, and I appreciate you tuning in. Really enjoy what those guys are doing at Edmonton Sports Talk. Big trip to uh, Las Vegas this past week. Lots of great coverage as uh, they're focused in on uh, the Edmonton Oilers, of course. But everything else that's happening around Edmonton as well. The Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Absolutely the best jerky you've ever had. Because you can't win friends with salad. Trust me, your taste buds will thank me. Get out to Wilhock in either Leduc, Spruce Grove, or the kiosk in West Edmonton Mall. Pick up some beef jerky today. If you happen to be in Western Canada, but you're not making the drive into Edmonton, go to wilhockbeefjerky.com, place an order online, and they will ship it to you. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada. Have an absolutely loaded show for you today. I'm back to feeling 100% COVID in the rearview mirror. I'll tell you who is uh, going to join me, courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline in a little bit, but let's get to the news and notes. We'll start with the CHL Top 10 ranking coming into this weekend's play. The Saskatoon Blades are ranked number one this week, followed by the London Knights. Baycomo drops to number three, and Saginaw also going down a spot to number four. Drummondville at five, Portland at six, Prince George is the number seven club, and you've got the Sioux Greyhounds, at number eight, number nine are the Everett Silvertips, and rounding out the top ten this week, the Moose Jaw Warriors. Let's get to the scoring races across the CHL to begin with, and we'll start in the east and move our way westward. So in the queue, Antonin Verov from Ron Naranda has 84 points in 51 games this year, absolutely lighting it up. 19-year-old was originally the second overall pick in the uh, Q's draft back in 2020. Back then it was with Gatineau. This is his first year with the Huskies. Undrafted in the NHL, listed at 5'8", just 166 pounds. But he went from 29 points last year in just 38 games. Didn't play the full season. But uh, he's leading the pack this year with 84 points. Next closest to him is uh, Matthew Cataford from Halifax, who's uh, 10 points back with 74. Justin Gill from Baycomo has 73 points. Cataford's teammate, Marcus Vitacek, 
with the Mooseheads. He has 66, as does Tommy Cormier from Victoriaville. 66 points as well there. Similar race in the Ontario Hockey League. It's the North Bay Battalion's Anthony Romani with 82 points. He's got 44 goals this year in 50 games. He's not undersized. He is six foot one, 185 pounds. He was draft eligible last year, but not taken. So could be one of those guys who is a, a second-year eligible guy who gets taken in the 2024 NHL draft. He was a third-round pick in the OHL's draft uh, back in 2021. Had 43 points last year, all the way up to 82 uh, this season in 16 fewer games. That is a huge jump in production for Anthony Romani. David Goyetta of the Sudbury Wolves is next. He's got 77 points. Denver Barkey, Philadelphia Flyers prospect, has 74, as does Dalen Wakeley of North Bay. And then there's a quartet of players tied with 69 points. Matthew Sopp from Kitchener, his defensive teammate Hunter Brustevich, now with the Calgary Flames. Denny Gore of Owen Sound. And uh, Zane Parekh, draft-eligible player with the Saginaw Spirit. All four of those guys have a nice point total of 69. And finally, in the Western Hockey League, Leading the entire Canadian Hockey League in scoring is Jagger Furcus of the Moose Jaw Warriors. The Seattle Kraken prospect has 87 points in 44 games. He's got 40 goals, which is not tops in the WHL. Zach Funk up in Prince George has 46 goals. But uh, Furcus with 87 points, he's uh, tracked by Riley Height from Prince George with 84. Gabe Clausen from the Portland Winterhawks has 83 then it's Funk with 81 points, and uh, Trevor Wong of the Saskatoon Blades has 80. So the WHL with five guys with 80 points so far this season. Pretty impressive. I'd update you on the AJHL, but as I'm speaking with you right now on Friday afternoon, the website is down. Now that seems to be problematic. I think they're going through some changes, as obviously they got some teams to remove from the site. I also noticed on Twitter, about a week ago at least, it was the case when I would uh, try to look at the website for any of the five teams that uh, left the AJA and joined the BCHL. When you clicked on the link in their Twitter bio, it would redirect you to the AJHL's website. I see now on Twitter those five teams have all removed the link uh, to what used to be their website. I'm actually not sure what any of those five teams are doing for a website right now because they don't have their logos up on the BCHL site just yet, other than in the banner for the uh, for the games, the schedule. I'm wondering if there's some sort of trademark issue. Well, I wonder if those five teams are going to have to get new logos, maybe even new team names. I'm not sure about that. Could be reading too much into things, but uh, I cannot tell you who is uh, leading the AJHL in scoring right now because the AJHL's website is down. I can tell you from a BCHL perspective, the uh, scoring race, although I don't think this includes those five new teams yet, Caden Cranston from the Surrey Eagles is atop the league with 58 points. Aaron Schwartz is his teammate. He's next with 49. A couple of players with 48. That'd be Mike Murtock from Nanaimo and Albany Valley's Nicholas Beneteau. Finishing off the top five is Felix Caron from West Kelowna. I know one of the things that we've been looking at uh, after uh, last week when we had Michael Menzies on the show, the voice of the Bonneville Pontiacs and beat reporter out there, is with this February 10th deadline for the BCHL, it's internal for that league, to lock in their rosters, how much poaching teams from the BCHL would do from across Canada where they can just recruit guys still mid-season, 
get them to leave their club teams and and uh, move to the BCHL and not compensate those teams at all. Uh, there has been a number of those over the past week, and it hasn't just been with Canadian teams. The USHL, the North American Hockey League, they've both lost players to the BCHL as well. It's kind of gone both ways. There's been two or three BCHL teams who have lost players to the USHL. But I look at uh, Jordan Geeky, may have mispronounced that, but he goes from Sioux Falls to to the Chilliwack Chiefs. Ryan Philbrick leaves Cedar Rapids to go to Salmon Arm. The Powell River Kings were busy. They picked up uh, Ryan Arnold from the Fort McMurray Oil Barons and uh, Luke DeVries, who is playing for the Philadelphia Rebels North American Hockey League team. Uh, Both of those guys go to the Powell River Kings. Albany Valley also busy. They pick up brothers Braxton Buckberger and Ronan Buckberger from the Nipawin Hawks out of the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League. They also get Ilya Brizgalov's son. He was a he's a goaltender himself, putting up some decent numbers this year, uh, playing for the Ogden Mustangs out of the NCDC. Well, now he is in the BCHL with the Albany Valley Bulldogs. The Spruce Grove Saints got into the action, uh, collecting Ryan Harvey, a defenseman with the Stouffville. Spirit, I believe that's uh, out of the Ontario Junior Hockey League. So what Michael Menzies was talking about last week about uh, all these teams in the BCHL are going to be doing their best to what he described as poaching players. That seems to have been happening all week. So on next week's show, maybe we'll touch base and uh, see exactly what the ramifications are after the smoke is cleared on all of that. Speaking of the USHL, uh, a look at their scoring race at the top. It's uh, Jake Sondriel. He plays for the Dubuque Fighting Saints. He's got 51 points so far after 38 games. He's followed by Matt Vagreden of the Muskegon Lumberjacks, who's a few points behind with 48. After that, it's Trevor Connolly from the Tri-City Storm. I saw Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News had a story about him this week and the whole swastika incident from a couple of years back. Jordan McAlpine from uh, the Rink Live had that story back in uh, the fall. It's really going to be interesting to see where he goes on NHL Draft Day. As Ryan Kennedy said in his story, there's going to be teams who aren't right now willing to take on that baggage and the potential firestorm that might create. But I'm sure there's going to be 32 teams who want to have a chat with him at the Combine. So still uh, probably lots to develop here with the Trevor Connolly situation. Uh, rounding out the top five of scoring in the USHL, Zamplant, who is a Pittsburgh Penguins prospect, playing for the Fargo Force. He's got 45, and Ethan Whitcomb, also from Muskegon, has 44 points. North American Hockey League, we see Max Martin from the Wisconsin Windigo is uh, leading the league in scoring, and not by just a little bit. He's got 74 points in 42 games. The next closest player is a 6'16 Yerner Show from the Northeast Generals with 61 points. So big lead there for Max Martin at the top. It even drops down after your show to Matteo DiCipio, Canadian, playing for the Rochester Junior Americans with 55 points. Hayden Cruz has 52 with Janesville. And then uh, another Canadian with Rochester, it's Massimo Gentile with 48 points. He's tied with Tyler Graham from Wisconsin with 48 as well. And uh, finally, in the NCAA, the uh, scoring race at the top hasn't changed for, really, the last couple of months. Uh, It's still the Denver duo of uh, Massimo Rizzo, British Columbia product, and a prospect of the Philadelphia Flyers. He's got 44 points for the Pioneers, and his line mate, Jack Devine, who's a Florida prospect, 
has 42 points, including 21 goals. Now, those two guys don't have a big lead. Gabe Perot from Boston College, New York Rangers, first-round pick. He's got 41 points. And then everybody's uh, number one choice for the 24-2024 NHL draft, Macklin Celebrini at Boston University. He's got 39. And Jackson Blake at North Dakota, also with 39 points. He, a prospect of the Carolina Hurricanes. Those are your scoring races across all the leagues that we focus on here on the Pipeline Show. Hey, you know Pro Stock Hockey is your online source for authentic Pro Stock Hockey equipment. Well, they've got new Warrior Pants just added to their website. According to their Twitter feed, check out their selection of NHL, college, and other pro teams. That's at ProStockHockey.com. Now let's get to the guest list. You know all my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. Go to TroubledMonk.com slash shop. See what Troubled Monk has in stock right now. You can place orders online. Follow the instructions on their website on how to pick them up. You can also go to the tap room in Red Deer, the home of Troubled Monk. Enjoy some uh, exclusive beverages on tap there as well as some fine grub. Go to your local Alberta liquor store and uh, pick up any of the Troubled Monk uh, options that you would like. If they don't have it for you, ask them to bring it in because it's available. Go to troubledmonk.com slash shop and find the craft beverages that are worth sharing and that are right for you. This week on the program, four guests for you. We're going to begin with Jimmy Connolly from USCHO. It's our annual Beanpot interview. That started this past Monday. It wraps up this coming Monday, so perfect timing to get Jimmy Connolly on. He's a Boston native himself. He was at the games. I don't know if you had a chance to watch them. If you didn't, I would highly recommend that you watch on Monday. It's on TSN in Canada. Really entertaining hockey and a great atmosphere. They're playing in the home of the Boston Bruins. So it's a packed crowd and really good games. Both of them were one-goal games. In fact, Northeastern and Harvard went to overtime on this past Monday. This coming Monday, it's going to be Northeastern against Boston University in the championship game. And uh, Jimmy Conley is going to set all of that up for us in our opening segment. From there, a conversation with Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News and Elite Prospects on this growing discussion about CHL players eventually being allowed to play in the NCAA as well, and how that will impact not just college hockey, but junior hockey across North America. It's going to have a wide-ranging effect on not just the CHL, but you can very well imagine that the nine leagues in the Canadian Junior Hockey League, the Junior A clubs, they're going to be greatly impacted. You would have to think the BCHL will feel it as well. Of course, south of the border, the USHL, the North American Hockey League. How about U Sports? Man, there's going to be a, a huge ripple effect if and when that comes to fruition. And we'll start that conversation with uh, Tony Ferrari this week, and we'll continue it next week. Chris Peters is going to join me next week to continue that chat. From there, we catch up with uh, former Edmonton Oil Kings head coach Derek Laxdahl. He's uh, the bench boss of the Oshawa Generals these days, and that club started a bit slow but have really turned it on. They're now in a top spot in their division. And it's uh, always great to have Derek Laxdahl on. He's a little bit unfiltered, which is awesome. I think you're going to enjoy that segment. And we will wrap things up this week with a 2024 draft spotlight segment. The player we'll get to know is uh, Justin Poirier. He plays for Bay Como out in the Quebec Maritime Junior Hockey League. One of those guys who probably should have been at the CHL top prospect game, but wasn't. We'll get to know him this week as well. But it all begins with Jimmy Connolly talking bean pot. That's up first here on the Pipeline Show.
Brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. We'll be right back. Sean takes a look. Ashan oh takes a my! And it's deflected in by Ryan Paling. Ashan spotted him, set him up for the redirect, and it's now 4-1 St. Cloud State. Hey, it's Ryan Paling from St. Cloud State University, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Talent development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goal. He scores. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious, man. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Hello there, children. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Time to talk some bean pot, and of course, any college hockey segment that we do on this program is brought to us by our friends at College Hockey Inc. If you're a player or you have one in your family, you need to know what you can and can't do because it may affect your NCAA eligibility. Get in contact with Mike Snee or anyone over at College Hockey Inc., and they can handle any questions that you might have. All right, it is bean pot time, and uh, every year we do this. Jimmy Connolly from USCHO is back. And Jimmy, welcome back to the program. How are you? Always a pleasure. A little dragging today uh, ah. on Tuesday after a late night at the bean pot, but you know, there's no better night to stay up and watch college hockey than bean pot Monday. It it, it really does. It, it even translates through television. You were there live. I got to watch uh, most of the first game and all of the second game uh, on TV uh, or streaming it. And just the atmosphere, especially for the later game, was pretty unbelievable. It, it really was. And, you know, this is a, a tournament we can talk about kind of the past. And, and Boston University owns this tournament. They've won uh, 31 bean pots coming into this year. That's a, that's a pretty good number when you think that they've only played 71. Oh, this is the 71st tournament. Um, but their fans usually dominate the building. Northeastern did a good job probably in the last decade of getting their fans in the building harvard has never done a great job of really packing the student section in boston college you know despite the fact that they were winning national championships in 0108 uh, 2010 2012 they've, they've had some great players since then they never did a good job of packing the student section but last night it feels like every boston college student that couldn't get a ticket they drove over to harvard and bought out every student ticket at Harvard <laughs> somehow. And that place was packed with Boston College students at one full side of the barn and then a quarter section of, of Boston University students at the other side uh, in TD Garden. And the atmosphere for that second game was incredible. Which of the four schools is the biggest in terms of enrollment or, or whatever, however you would gauge which is the bigger school? That is a good question. I'm going to have to guess Boston University would have the highest enrollment. Um, Harvard, probably the smallest. Um, then Northeastern, probably second biggest after BU. They they could actually be battling BU for highest. And then BC, a, a pro, you know, small 
ish right uh a catholic school they're probably right above harvard but i would have to think that boston university by far has the biggest enrollment okay but that's all i'll tell you that's all guesses i didn't look that one up before right. young, so i'm not sure totally that's right. <laughs> is, is hockey the 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 number one sport at any of them or is basketball and football still number one at all of them um at Northeastern, I would say that hockey is is definitely number one. Um, Boston University, it's pretty darn close. Basketball, you know, is a pretty important sport there. But I still think that hockey and the fact that they've been a team that has won national championships, right. they've always competed, that's pretty close. Boston College, <laughs> hockey shouldn't be the number one sport. But given the lack of success of both basketball and football uh in the last decade i'd have to say that hockey should be the number one sport there and especially when they were winning the titles like i said 08 2010 2012 those three titles really you know hockey should have been the main sport on campus um harvard is an ivy league i, I think the main sport should be academics to be honest with you <laughs> I mean, it's just hard enough to get through that place and uh I, you know, football is, is big there. You know, the Harvard-Yale game with, you know, 40,000-plus every year at it uh, is pretty big. And, and hockey kind of takes a back seat. Um, but, the, you know, it's a small building, Bright Landry Hockey Center, maybe 3,000 seats. So certain nights of the, the year, they can pack that place. Um, if you ask me which school thinks that hockey is the most important, I'd say probably BU first, Northeastern second, really close though. And then BC, I think they believe it's important, but they also have ACC, football, basketball. Okay. That's a big difference. And then Harvard, I don't want to ever say that Harvard has to come up the rear, but to them, academics is the biggest sport in campus. Uh, Jimmy Conley from USCHO, my guest. All right, let's get to the games from uh, Monday night. As we're speaking, it's Tuesday, as most people will hear this probably on Friday. Uh, so there'll be a little time difference there. But uh, Northeastern and Harvard uh, opened things up, ended up being a 3-2 win for the Huskies, but it wasn't an easy game. Uh, I saw about half of it, uh, but a pretty entertaining affair. What do you think of that contest? Well, I'll tell you, I, if if the first three, four minutes dictated the game, I would have thought that Northeastern was going to dominate it. Mm -hmm. They just they came out flying. Uh, Alex Campbell gets them on the board seven or so minutes into the game. And you think, wow, this is just going Northeastern's way. But then they didn't score before the end of the first period. And, you know, you kind of sat back and said, well, maybe Harvard has a chance. Then Ben McDonald scores in the second. Uh, his dad, Lane, Beanpot Hall of Famer, Beanpot MVP in 1989. He scores early in the second period. Then uh, Morden, Mike, uh, Matt Morden gets them the lead. You know, less than two minutes later, and it's like, wow, maybe Harvard has a chance. And the game stayed that way till late. Uh, Justin Vizcovin tied it for Northeastern on a rebound. Then it goes to the three-on-three -three overtime. Now, don't forget, Bean Potts used to be allowed to play 20-minute overtime, just like a, a Stanley Cup playoff game right. or, or a postseason game in the NCAA tournament. They've changed those rules. You have to play the five-on-five. -five, I'm sorry, the, the five minutes of three-on-three over time, then you have to go to a shootout now. It's the way that college hockey went, um, just like almost anything else in the regular season. So they end up in three-on-three -three overtime and a great give-and-go between Ritz-Covey and Justin Ritz-Covey. And 
uh, and Gunnar Wolf-Fontaine, best name in college hockey, ends up burying the game winner 33 seconds into overtime. Northeastern wins it. They'll play for the final. They'll play in the final for the six straight years. This is a team that you don't have to go that far back. They had only won it four times after the 89 bean pot. Then they won it, I'm going to say it was probably about six, seven years ago, five, six years ago, and then they won three straight. Now they're kind of a team that everybody loves to favorite in this tournament, which was so rare for, for Northeastern. They were the team that could not win this tournament. They seem to be a team that always turns it on at the right time. Coming into the game, I mean, they were 500. Actually, it might be post this game, but their their record is 12, 12, and 2. Um, so on paper, it's not like they're having a, a banner year or anything, but Harvard only has four wins this season. Right. There's something about the bean pot, though. You can throw records, seasonal records, out the window. Uh, I mean, on paper, this game shouldn't have been close, and yet it went to overtime. I, that's true. Um, Northeastern has been playing their best hockey of late. Um, really bad injury bug that went through that team. I'm going to say really from October through early January. They started to get some guys back, started to get uh, almost a normal lineup. I think they pretty much have most of the guys they want in the lineup there now, and they're playing really well of late. They beat uh, Boston University last week. They beat uh, Maine, which is a really good team last week. Then they get to the beating part. They get Harvard. Maybe didn't play their best hockey. Uh, Harvard, this is a tough year for Harvard. Teddy Donato, great coach. Everybody knows that. Um, but they, they've struggled a little bit this year. Um, don't have the horses that they maybe had. Now, the other thing, too, and this is maybe getting into too deep of college hockey, but this would have been the senior year for everybody that would have entered as a freshman during COVID. Right. And the Ivy League schools didn't play that year. So their whole freshman class that would have entered that year, some players transferred out other places, some players delayed. So everything got a little bit screwed up. So this year's senior class almost doesn't exist for Harvard. Right. So that's something you have to take into you know consideration when you're you're really kind of trying to grade out this this Harvard team. They're struggling a little bit, um, but they gave a great game to Northeastern last night. I'm sure Teddy was a little just uh, you know disappointed not to win, but to get to overtime, I thought they played a great game. But this Northeastern team, I think they are playing their best hockey right now for the first time all year. This is a team that did not have a win in Hockey East at Christmas. I think they're actually going to compete for maybe fourth, fifth, third place in hockey by the end of the year. Okay. Uh, also worth pointing out, because I'm up in Canada, there's pretty good showing by Canadians in this game. Alex Campbell, Canadian. Matthew Morton, freshman defenseman with Harvard, scores his only goal of the year uh, in a uh, at a pretty big moment in this game. And you men- mentioned, uh, the, I'm going to butcher the name, Rakowian brothers? Ritzkovian. <laughs> Ritzkovian brothers. Uh, all had, I mean, they had multiple... Uh, well, one of them at least had three points in the game, I think. Yeah, Justin did. Dylan, uh, his younger brother, ended up with an assist on Justin's game-tying goal. They're, they're fantastic. And I'll tell you, uh, Justin Ritzkovian came in uh, as a freshman two years ago, so he's a junior now. And I remember uh, covering kind of their – I think I ended up calling maybe their first – three of their first four games. And the first game, he was a fourth-line center, you know, admirable you didn't notice him that much and then a couple of injuries take place he moves up to the first line and he became 
the best center on that Northeastern team his freshman year. And then sophomore year just kept improving. Wasn't just scoring goals, but now he's winning 65% of his draws. And he, he's kept that going. Now he's the captain of this team. Uh, his brother Dylan comes in. I know he's a, a nice complimentary piece, but this is a, a family that maybe you didn't know about going into uh, you know their careers three years ago. They're going to make an impact on this Northeastern team. Uh, I don't. What is the background of that name? That last name? Because I know they're from Quebec. It's not a French name, though, for sure. It almost sounds like is it like Polish or something? I, I don't know. That's that's a good. That's that one is a little bit above my pay grade right there. I'm All not right. sure I know that either. I'm, but you know, I'll tell you. You want to see guys that can compete and hustle. And I know that uh, Jerry Keefe always talks about how Justin is one of those guys that he every time he gets to the rink in the morning, he's already there stays late you know just one of those types of players you want on your team uh lastly for that game uh goaltender for northeastern cameron whitehead was getting a lot of love on the broadcast uh, last night uh what sort of a goaltender do you project him to be uh having watched as much college hockey as you have and seen guys uh, go on i mean devin levi was outstanding for northeastern hasn't necessarily translated to the nhl just yet still very young in his in his nhl career but uh cameron whitehead's uh, looking pretty good so far too I think so. Um, I just saw them for the first time in person this past Friday. I called the the main Northeastern game that Northeastern ended up winning 6-3. Very good goaltender. Holds his position very well. And and Jerry Keefe, really complimentary of of how he's played, especially through the toughest times of this year. You know, when you're going through a a spout where you're not winning league games and you're 0-4 at Christmas break, you know that things should be better, and they're not. And this is a team that had very high expectations. I think that often weighs on the goaltender more than anybody on the team. Hmm. And I, th- I think that Whitehead has really done a nice job of keeping balance, finding ways to get better every day. And right now, he's playing solid hockey. Every time you see him, he holds himself positionally strong. So he's not a goaltender that has to flop. And I, I, know, I know that's kind of now a almost an ancient term of a guy that flops around the crease. You don't love that anymore. Everybody loves the the big, strong, athletic goaltender who stands up, faces the shot, finds a way to direct his rebounds, but can bounce off a, a rebound shot and, and get into position. Uh, that's Whitehead right now. And, and I think that that will help this Northeastern team as the season goes on. Another Canadian, worth pointing out. Uh, all right, let's go to the uh, the late game. Boston University and, and Boston College, and it, it was, from start to finish, a pretty exciting contest. And, uh, I, again, uh, some Canadians standing up. Uh, Macklin Celebrini with a pair of goals. Uh, and uh, Ryan Green, I thought, was really consistent throughout the game uh, for the Terriers. And, and Gabe Perot, who I know is very American but born in Canada, well, he's a dual citizen, so we'll, we'll take that on this show for sure, but had a couple of goals uh, for uh, Boston College. And that game, it looked like it was going to be over when it got to be 4-1 early in the third period. Uh, but I hope nobody uh, stopped watching because it was a pretty exciting finish. Well, I know I had to rewrite an entire story <laughs> last night because uh, I was talking about BU's dominance and all of that. And, uh, but no, BC crept back into that game. But, uh, you know, on the college stage, everybody has heard about Macklin Celebrini for so long. And the reality is I don't think that every fan nationwide in the United States and maybe even Canada on the college stage has seen Macklin Celebrini that much. And he's fantastic to watch. 
last night on the biggest stage, he had his best game. And his snipes, the the two goals. Yeah. I mean, the second goal he had on the power play. Honest to God, I, I, I feel like if Boston College goaltender Matthew Caron stepped in front of that one and put his face in front of it, his his mask might have snapped in half. That's how <laughs> hard the shot was. Instead, it goes just over his shoulder into the net, under the crossbar. I mean, there's just so much talent. And when you see that shot, you know there's something very special about Celebrini. And you know, even his first goal, just kind of a wrist shot, no goaltender is probably going to stop. Um, he's he's very impressive, and to do it on the stage, and you have to go back just a weekend ago, about about ten days before, Boston University played Boston College, and Celebrini was totally held at bay. BC in two games did not let him do anything, and BC wins both of those games, uh, regular season hockey East games. Now you get into the bean pot. BC not able to hold Celebrini at bay, and he just erupted last night. I thought he was very impressive. So what was the difference? Because it's as you mentioned, those two games against BC that the uh, the Eagles won, it's not that long ago. So something must have changed. Did BU do something differently yesterday that allowed Celebrini to, to really break out? I thought that the ice, th- there was just more ice for him. Mm-hmm. You know, BC took away the ice much better in those first two games, the time and space that he had was limited last night. He got into shooting positions and you can say that for everybody, even Luke Tuck and Ryan green, when they scored their goals, they just had more time and space than they ever had in that weekend series, that two game series against BC. I got to call both of those games uh, on Ness and, and you know, those were games where I just felt like BC looked so much dominant in, in, Maybe for the last two periods last night, BC might have looked dominant as well. They had they had a two nothing hole to dig out of. They got a goal back from Perot, but then they turned the puck over and Lou Tuck scored. Then they turned the puck over in the third period and Ryan Green makes it four one. Then BU, BC starts really playing its game. They get you know Schamberger scores, Perot scores again, and now you're in a four three game. And I want to say that the number of great A's that I measured. In the last 10 minutes of that game last night, when the game was a 4-2, 4-3 game, there had to be about a dozen for BC. They just couldn't score that one extra goal. So I don't know that the margin of the game was that different than any other game that's been played. BU probably felt like they were in the first two games but didn't win. BC probably feels like they were in the third game last night. And didn't win it. Uh, different stages, obviously. Now there's a, a championship to to possibly be won for the bean pot for Boston University next week. BC won't get that chance. But um, I, I don't think there's a lot that separates these two teams when they play. I don't think there's a lot that separates the goaltenders based on what I saw last night. I know Jacob Fallish had an unbelievable season uh, for the Eagles. But I thought that Matthew Caron was really solid yesterday for the Terriers, too. Uh, I like both of these goalies. I do too. Uh, Fowler, um, you know, his coach Greg Brown says that he doesn't get phased by anything, and you saw that. You know, think early in the year, you know, rookie coming in. This is kind of pre-World Juniors. Every game he was good, and he was winning a lot of them. Um, but he would always have kind of one bad goal against, uh, and bounce back every time he did that. And that was something that Greg Brown really liked. Those those bad goals against have kind of reduced as the season's gone on. 
Matthew Caron, I saw him the opening weekend against uh, New Hampshire. They lost. Uh, I think he gave up five or six in that first game. And I, I said, oh, maybe that's the, the, the Achilles heel for, for Boston University. Um, but they have gotten so much better. And Brian DeCord, their goaltending coach, I think uh, Jay Pandolfo has given him a ton of credit for, for really improving Caron. And uh, if you, the name sounds familiar, Joey DeCord was the goaltender uh, at Arizona State. He's with the uh, Seattle team in the NHL now and doing a fantastic job. You know that that's his dad, and he's legendary goaltender and a great teacher of goaltending. Um, I think that that is something that has strengthened uh, Karan's game, and that is what BU needs. You know, if you've got in front of you, you've got the ability to pretty much score. I don't want to say at will, and maybe both of these teams feel like they have that. But when you can then defend and stop the puck, that might be the most important part of your game. Lane Hudson, I thought was. Uh... Well, he was interesting to watch yesterday. He made a lot of nice, spectacular little spinorama moves, but I thought he turned the puck over a lot as well in, in the game. Uh, what's your take on uh, Lane Hudson? Well, he's fine. I just think that certain teams, Boston College, certainly being one of them, can mark him really well. Um, they've done a really good job of trying to put uh, Cutter Gauthier against him specifically, trying to shut him down every game they've played. Hmm. He couldn't do it as much last night. They didn't have the last line change. Um, but they, they try to neutralize him a little bit. Listen, he's still a fantastic player. Um, you just have to find a way to, to get him the time and space. And when he has that, he'll, he'll be great. Uh, he can be shut down, though. Any, listen, any player in college hockey, in the CHL, in, in, uh, in the NHL, they can be shut down if you can – dedicate time it's just whether you have another player like a Macklin Celebrini like you know in this case Lou Tuck Ryan Green that find themselves open in different situations those are the types of moments you need when you have a guy like Lane Hudson that dominates in terms of the attention he gets you know you have to find somebody else Lastly, uh, Jimmy, because I know you got to take, uh, you got to run really quickly. Do these games count as exhibition games, or are they? How do they affect the pairwise? And I guess look ahead to next week, and who do you expect to be crowned uh, on top of the beanpot? So these games do count in terms of the overall national rankings for college hockey. So pairwise, yes, they do count. Uh, they don't count as league games for okay. hockey for when these teams play. Um, so they, they do they do matter a lot, and I'll tell you for Boston College next week, a consolation game that will be played in front of maybe you know a thousand, maybe two thousand people will mean a lot for BC. They can't lose to Harvard. That would be something that could slip there pairwise. They're right. They stayed number one even losing last night. But you lose to a Harvard, you could slip to three or four right now, and that's something you don't want to do. Um, BU, they're trying to build. They're trying to get up to number one. Um, so, yes, it means a lot. In terms of who I think next week, <laughs> you know, BU Northeastern just played at Matthews Arena, so at Northeastern. Uh, BU won that in overtime on a kind of a controversial goal where they had uh, they called too many men on the ice on BU in a play that I'm, I'm pretty sure it was too many men, but no coach loves to see that called uh, in overtime. If I had to pick it, I'd have to go with BU. They just have more horses. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's going to be a heck of a final. These teams get so fired up to play on an NHL building on the big stage. There will be 18,000 people there next week watching this game. It'll be unreal. 
it will be unreal. And it was great to talk to you again, Jimmy. One of my uh, favorite segments to do every year is uh, to chat with you about the bean pot. Uh, thanks for doing this once again. Always a pleasure, Guy. Enjoy. That, of course, Jimmy Connolly from USCHO. I love having Jimmy on, not just because he's a uh, great guy to talk college hockey with, terrific broadcaster. I've I've caught a number of games online where he's doing color and uh, calls a terrific game, great insight. But I also uh, like having him on because I get to use that little Van Halen clip at the end there. And it always makes me chuckle. Great recap of the first two games of the Beanpot Tournament. Did you watch I hope you did, because it's a really great example of uh, college hockey at its best. It's not like that every weekend, of course. I mean, there are 60-some teams now in Division I men's college hockey. They're not all playing at the home of the Boston Bruins, so this is a really special occasion. Uh, but it's great that the uh, place is packed, and it's really good hockey. Going to continue the college hockey talk in a way. Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News and Elite Prospects is going to join me next. A lot of talk about how CHL players over the next few years, might be allowed to play NCAA hockey as well. And uh, that is really going to change the already changing landscape of amateur hockey in North America. We'll talk to Tony about that next here on the Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Hi, I'm Quentin Musty from the Sudbury Wolves. For David going into the near circle, trailing Musty high slot, lets it fly, he scores! Quentin Musty, second of the game, a 2-0 Wolves. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. Trevor is lonely. Yeah. So Trevor threw a big party and served salad. Nobody came. Mike is also lonely. Yeah, it sucks, man. So Mike threw a big party and served Will Hawk beef jerky. Go Will Hawk! Go Will Hawk! Everybody came! Will Hawk beef jerky. Because you don't win friends with salad. Will Hawk is the home of Alberta's best beef jerky. In Leduc, Spruce Grove, and West Edmonton Mall. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. And boom goes the dynamite. Continuing on with the Pipeline Show, brought to you, of course, by Wilhock Beef Jerky, Alberta's best. You can get it anywhere in Western Canada by going to wilhockbeefjerky.com. And a uh, hot, uh, hot subject these days is the potential and maybe probability of uh, CHL players uh, being able to play some NCAA hockey uh, near the end once their junior eligibility is up or maybe sooner than that. Uh, to talk uh, help talk about that, is uh, Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News slash Elite Prospects. Uh, Tony, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Not too bad. Happy to be joining you. It's a good time of year. And, uh, yeah, this uh, NCAA-CHL story, it's a, it's a bit of a hot one. It's kind of late breaking, not breaking news, really, but uh, over the last week or so it's sort of evolved. Maybe for fans or, or the audience that isn't up to speed on what's happening, can you give sort of a, a summary of, of how things are sitting right now and, and what's being talked about? Well, as of right now, nothing's being done, which is kind of a weird spot for everything to be in because they'll have a vote at the end of the year from the NCAA coaches as to whether or not they want to start the process of allowing CHL players into the NCAA. Um, from that point, they'll have to decide when exactly they're going to allow them right out of high school or are they going to have to go through their entire CHL eligibility. Um, but this has been a rumor for a few months at least. Uh, I remember first hearing about it back 
just before Christmas, and then it, it was just kind of a, a bubbling under the surface kind of thing. And then recently, it's become a bit more of a hot-button topic, and whether it was CHL coaches or NCAA people, everyone kind of went, no, nah, this isn't going to happen. But with Elliot Friedman recently coming out on the latest 32 Thoughts, in, in discussing the, the topic and talking about how at the end of the season it looks like coaches are going to vote on whether or not to allow CHL players into the NCAA, it became a much bigger conversation. And I think the biggest difference and the reason that it's at least starting is the fact that in the NCAA now, they have NIL deals, which is name, image, and likeness. And what that is is players are now allowed to make some money and work with brands and products and different things with what within the rules that their teams and their schools set out, but they're allowed to make some money now. So the whole issue of the CHL being a quote-unquote pro league isn't as big of an issue now. So bringing in some bigger talents, bringing in some uh, more diverse skill set from the CHL could benefit the NCAA, but there's a lot of uh, after effects for other leagues around Canada and the U.S. Yeah, that's that's what I'm looking at here, too, is what the potential ramifications are, not just for the CHL and for the NCAA, but what the spinoff is. And first off, maybe, I don't know, who's who wins from this? Who wins from this? Uh, it's two leagues, the CHL and the NCAA. The CHL gets some of these guys that are higher-end players that either go down to the down south to the USHL or go and play Junior A or BCHL hockey. Mm-hmm. They get to keep those players for the most part now. The, the big draw to go to those leagues was you can go the NCAA route. Now a guy like Macklin Celebrini, Adam Fantilli, uh, Kent Johnson, or a Kale McCarr, now they would have the option to go to the CHL and still go to the NCAA if this deal were to go through. The other winner is the NCAA, obviously. You're getting a ton more talent, um, and you're diversifying the skill set. The the prospect pool for the NCAA now opens up to a whole group of players across the three Canadian Hockey League leagues that they didn't have before. So now if we see a guy that is maybe not quite ready for pro hockey, but he's clearly finished his CHL eligibility and he doesn't really have a spot to go, maybe he goes to the NCAA for a couple of years. And there's a lot to be just kind of figured out in terms of when these players would be eligible still. But it seems like those are the two leagues that are winning. Outside of that, not many people are winning in, in terms of the hockey side of things. I agree with you completely. I would add one more league that would benefit. I think the NHL would benefit a lot from this as well because I could see the NHL teams really having an interest in putting their guys to college, trying to help find a, a college program that would uh, have room for uh, to add a player and start using the NCAA almost like an, uh, a farm league to the American Hockey League. Guys who are 19 and might be, in a lot of cases, too good for the uh, CHL, uh, but not quite ready for pro hockey. Let's say Shane Wright. Is, wouldn't Shane Wright be the perfect candidate right now to be playing college hockey instead of as a uh, an underage uh, exceptional player for uh, playing in the American Hockey League when nobody else is supposed to be able to at, at the same age that he is? That That's one of the really interesting things right now with this entire agreement that isn't an agreement that's all up in the air. The, mm-hmm. the discussion of when a player is eligible to go to the NCAA is still very much a thing. And um, one thing that was stressed when I t- talked to a few people is that even if this is agreed upon this summer that they're going to start allowing it, the NCAA has a lot to figure out. Are they going to allow guys that have signed professional contracts to, into the NCAA, or yeah, are they point. just going to allow the guys that haven't? Um, are they going to allow um, players that are 18 or 19 
and or are they going to force the, is the CHL going to force the issue and say, well, they can go to the NCAA after their CHL eligibility is done when they're 20 years old, 21 years old. There, there's a lot to be kind of figured out. So that that if that were the case, a, a guy like Shane Wright wouldn't be allowed to go to the, the NCAA, right. or a guy that signs his NHL entry level contract right away doesn't get to go. Then there's the issue of how do your NHL rights work out after you're drafted? Usually a CHL player, there's two years uh, of NHL rights, then the NHL team would have to sign the player. But in the NCAA, if you draft a kid out of the, the college ranks, you get four years. So you get more time to, to give this kid to develop and wait to sign that entry-level deal. What if a kid goes from the CHL to the NCAA? Does that change his eligibility or his NHL entry draft rights? Um, there's a lot to discuss. The NHL has got things to figure out on their end if this, this does become a thing as well. But I think the biggest thing is the NCAA and CHL have to figure out when these players are eligible. Because if it's not till 20, does that put off a, a few other guys that are going that would typically sign their NHL entry-level contracts at 19? Does that make them wait another year or two and decide, okay, do I sign my entry-level deal or do I go to the NCAA? Because I have a feeling, based on conversations I've had with everyone, the NCAA is not going to love having guys that are that have their entry-level deal signed. Yeah. So that kind of leads you to believe that they're going to allow just the guys that haven't signed entry-level deals, whether they're drafted or not. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, actually, Tony. That's a great point that you bring up. And in that scenario, I could see it changing that the NHL team wouldn't be signing 19-year-olds. I think they would want guys to go play a year or two against bigger, older, stronger competition in college hockey, and then sign them. That could change things as well. Okay, so we've talked about who wins, who benefits from this. Uh, I think there are a lot of leagues that would really uh, uh, feel this uh, in a negative way. Uh, who comes to mind immediately when, when I say who's not going to be happy about this? Well, I know a lot of people are talking about the CJHL, the Junior A Leagues in Canada, but the league that kind of jumps out to me is the USHL, Mm -hmm. Uh, a league that teams like the Chicago Steel, Tri-City Storm, Omaha, um, they've all had notable Canadians come join the ranks in the last few years, um, be very prominent members on their teams. They lose those guys probably in this scenario. Um, A lot of the American kids that are drafted in the later rounds of the CHL drafts, maybe they end up going to the CHL now with the NCAA still being a possibility. So I think the USHL is where the, the talent pool might get hit the, the hardest. And then there's the, the junior A leagues in Canada, the, the AJHL and the BCHL, which is no longer technically a CJHL league anymore. Yeah. Um, that will be affected by this. I think um, you see guys at Camel car. I mentioned earlier uh, and Aiden Fink uh, recently go to the AJHL or, or one of these other CJHL leagues and then go to the NCAA to finish to pursue a college career, and then eventually get to the NHL and hopefully blossom in a, in a long pro career. With that option not necessarily being forced upon them, I think there's a lot of guys that would probably end up going to the the C- CHL leagues, whether it's the O, the WHL, or the the QMJHL. It, it's going to be really interesting for the BCHL because their decision to leave Hockey Canada, leave the CJHL ranks now becomes a little bit weakened because they looked at themselves and they went, especially if we get these other eight, the, the few AHL, AJHL teams that are going to come over to the league next year, we can build this super league of junior A level hockey. That is a direct pipeline to the NCAA. Mm-hmm. Well, now if the CHL kind of starts allowing guys to go to the NCAA, that move to exclude themselves is weakened in a big way. Do they end up joining back to CJHL? Do they find another way to do things? Do they try to be this, 
halfway point where you still have NCAA prospects, but you're not going to be as strong because the draw isn't there. Yeah. It, it's basically every league that isn't the CHL and the NCAA kind of lose here. Yeah, I agree completely with that. And uh, those five teams have actually officially left the AJ. They're now part of the BCHL effective uh, like last weekend. They started playing BCHL games last weekend, so that's that's already happened. Uh, but I agree completely. I think all the leagues that you just talked about would be the ones that would feel it for sure. The National Development Program in the States, I don't know actually if if they would feel it or not because guys are playing. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty special situation there. It's, it's still the top-end guys out of the United States. I don't know if, if this would impact them. I don't know if they would start suddenly going to the CHL and not having that experience of playing uh, for their country for a couple of years as, as 16- and 17-year-olds. What do you think? Yeah, that's an interesting one because that is kind of the exclusion to the rule almost. Yeah. But I don't think immediately they're affected, but maybe down the line they are because kids start to realize that now that the USHL has weakened, is the competition level that you're going to face with the NTDP going to be there, going to be enough for you to continue developing, continue improving the way you, you have been? With the USHL, is something I've, I've said for the last five, six years now, is in my opinion the most underscouted and underrated junior league across North America. I think the, the competition level that the NTDP faces there is really high end, and that's a big draw for that. Hmm. Five, six years from now, if this goes through, maybe kids are looking at the NTDP like, yeah, it's a special program. It's really awesome to put on my jersey. But developmentally, maybe it's not my best choice. Maybe that's not where I'm going to face the competition that's going to allow me to grow and flourish and develop into the player I could be. Maybe I'm doing myself a disservice by playing against lower-end competition if the USHL is harshly affected by this, as, as everyone kind of assumes they will be. So while I don't think it's going to be an immediate thing, over time it could happen. I certainly don't want it to because I think – the USHL is one of my favorite leagues to watch. The NTDP is an absolute fantastic program, top to bottom. Everyone that works for that program and, and works with these kids to develop them into very special talents, it's become one of the hottest places to, to scout for NHL teams. We see how many kids are drafted every year there. Going back to that banner year in 2019 with Jack Hughes and Cole Caulfield and all the guys like that. So, it, it's certainly a special program, and I don't want it to be affected, but it certainly could be. Yeah, no, and I get it. I think you like the USHL more than I do, uh, but I, I think the program is outstanding. The, the difference is that, I mean, they over a course of two seasons, those guys in the program actually play in the USHL for less than a full season. Uh, like most guys yeah. will play 120 games over those two years, and maybe 50 of them are against USHL opponents, but... The advantage is they get to play against NCAA competition at a young age, and, and that's certainly good for development. Uh, all right, let's talk about, uh, do you think this is like one, two, five years away? Where, what do you think the, the timeline is for this? Based on everything I've heard, based on what the Elliot Friedman's report of the coaches voting this year, I think it's going to be voted upon this summer. Uh, whether or not it fully goes through, I think it's something that I think probably does happen. Um, the actual timeline for implementation, I'd, I'd probably put it three years because hmm. I think teams in the CHL are going to want to adjust. Teams in the NCAA are going to want to prepare and adjust. And you're going to want to figure out how this is all going to work. They're going to need to work on rules. So at least two to three years, I think, before anything's truly implemented, even if we do get a decision this summer. I, I really think the OHL and the WHL will benefit. I don't know how much the queue as it is right now will benefit. Because I think there's still that language barrier. If we're talking about drawing more players up from the United yeah. States, 
do you think maybe it's a potential we see for the Q to take advantage of this? They might need to expand one to three teams into the U.S., like into back, get it back into Maine, maybe Vermont, New Hampshire, heck, even a, a team in Massachusetts. That would help potentially get some of those American players there. Yeah, it certainly would. And I think it, the only thing I'd worry about with that is this: the QMJHL is already, in my opinion and a lot of people's opinion, the weakest of the three CHL leagues. Would diluting the talent to uh, add a few more teams really help the league in that in that regard, or would moving a team or two possibly work? I think long term you could look at mo- moving a team or two, especially if you are able to draw some of that that U.S. talent the way right. they haven't really been able to over the last few years. So I, I don't know if diluting the talent uh, would be the answer, but certainly um, there are, there are teams in the QMJHL that are having problems and stuff and, and maybe open to a move, I'm sure. Sure, like Bathurst or something like that, who's in a really small market. Yeah, exactly. Head, head down to Maine, head down to one of these northern states that are right over there by them and open up the, the American pipeline. That team could end up being a, a wagon for that QMJHL league. And just based on the location, you could draw a lot of talent. Well, and to your point, it's also not just about bringing up American talent, but keeping the Canadian talent that currently... Uh, they're going to the USHL. We're talking about uh, guys like Sasha Boisvert, who's in Muskegon right now and a potential first-round pick. He'd be in the queue. Uh, you look at the Nando brothers, who are now at Maine, but played the last couple of years in, in Penticton in the BCHL. Like, those guys could have stayed and played in the queue. I mean, there are a lot of players. I think there are probably more guys from eastern Canada who go to the USHL than potentially guys from, you know, like Saskatchewan that go down uh, and play instead of playing in, in the CHL or, or in the CJHL uh, back home for them. Uh, and maybe that's a way for the Q to keep those guys. Yeah, exactly. Because like I said, just having the draw of knowing that you don't have to make this decision at 15 as to whether or not you want to leave the NCAA route as an option. Yeah. Under, having these players go, okay, we can go play for Halifax or for Acadie Bathurst or, or Quebec Ramparts and not have to worry about losing our ncaa eligibility because i i know there's a lot of players that wish they could have went the ncaa route because they and they ended up only playing six seven eight games in the chl because they were never able to kind of secure down a roster spot and then they got kind of left out of a ncaa job and ncaa spot because they tried that chl route now this opens up those guys as well that i think were stuck playing in these cghl leagues and then not knowing whether or not they were going to get a, a, an NCAA spot, so they took a they took a, a few game stint in the C- CHL. So there's a lot of those guys as well that I think were almost CHLers, mm-hmm. but because they played a few games, they lost their eligibility. One more league to talk about that's going to feel the ramifications probably, and you mentioned it in your story at the Hockey News is uh, U Sports. Uh, I, I, what do you think the ramifications would be for that league, where a lot of CHL guys will go after their eligibility is up? and uh, use their scholarship packages, which are really, really strong now. I mean, guys get a full year of uh, tuition and, and books paid for for playing a single game, at least in the WHL, that's what it is. For every season that you've played in the dub, you get a year of education paid for. If there's a lot of guys who end up going to the NCAA instead, the U.S. The U sports is going to feel a pinch. Oh, big time. I think U sports might be the biggest loser here. And they're the one that doesn't get talked about them at all. I think it's it's a league that has some fun hockey. They the talent level has always kind of lagged behind because you are kind of getting the scraps of the CHL, and and that's been good enough for for the last 
so many years, and they've been able to put together some really good teams, some really good hockey. Um, it's been watched more and more over the last five, six, seven years, but this would be a death blow, I think, honestly. you Unless you're getting a player where that scholarship thing, um, package is really the driving force, then I, I think a lot of guys end up going to the NCAA. Do do the guys that end up going to uh, U Sports, playing for, for Cal, University of Calgary or University of London or wherever else, or Western, sorry, um, do they end up going down to the NCAA because they get a hockey scholarship? These kids are going to find their, their careers after hockey at the end of the day uh, in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. and they get to play hockey while they do it, and that's a beautiful thing, and it's great to see these kids go and play hockey and, and stretch out that hockey career just a little bit more, be the star on their, their youth sports team. With that NCAA draw, you're like, well, there'll be more eyes on me. There'll be Maybe I do get a, an AHL contract, and I get to extend – my hockey career even more while getting an education. There's a lot of different things. And I think that would be an interesting uh, topic of conversation with negotiations as well for the CHL. If a player does go to the NCAA route, do they lose their, their scholarship rights? Do they lose their scholarship eligibility for coming back to the Canadian university? If the NCAA doesn't work out, right. like I said, there's a lot of stuff that they're going to have to figure out. And I think that scholarships is a big thing because if they go down to the NCAA, I don't think the CHL is going to want to pay for the scholarship yeah. there. I think it's going to be a, hey, you're going to go for a, a hockey scholarship. You're going to go play at the University of Michigan, at University of Minnesota, wherever it may be. We're not paying for that. That's a scholarship. So the CHL scholarships and, and tuition that's all paid for kind of goes away. But now these players will have to make that decision at 20 do I want to go to the NCAA? Do I want to go to the youth sports ranks? And, and I think that's a more appropriate age for a guy to have to make that kind of decision than 15. Yeah. But it's still a, a pretty big decision for these kids. Agreed completely. Uh, Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News and from Elite Prospects, uh, all your game tape stuff, your videos that you're doing with players where you sit down and break break uh, break down game tape with them, uh, which is really compelling stuff. I saw the one you did with Caden Lindstrom uh, recently. Uh, great to see that. Uh, what else you got coming up? Uh, I've got a lot of draft stuff coming up. Uh, ho- the hockey news, all my writings there. But like you said, the the videos are all at Elite Prospects now. Caden uh, Lindstrom was the first one, uh, and Berkeley Catton will be the next one coming out. Uh, nice. Just finishing up the editing, editing on that. Excellent. Tony, as always, man, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this. Anytime, B. There's Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News as well as Elite Prospects so with his thoughts on the whole subject of CHL players eventually being allowed to play in the NCAA. Really interesting thoughts, and I keep thinking as I was editing that interview and I'm going back and listening, the the subject of the National Development Program about maybe some of those players who would play for the program decided, well, the USHL isn't providing good enough competition anymore. I wonder, maybe the whole program decides that and pulls out of the USHL. Like, I mean, it's only been, what, 10 years since they've been part of the USHL? Trying to remember what their schedule was uh, like before that. It might have just been informal games against the USHL. But maybe they become the 21st team in the OHL. I mean, they're in Michigan. The OHL has two other teams from Michigan already. It's not like it would be out of the way. In fact, they the OHL used to have the Plymouth Whalers, which is where the program is based now. Who knows? I mean, it's it's very speculative. It's very hypothetical. But guys like Seth Jones, who played two years for the program and then left and played a year in the WHL with the Portland Winterhawks, maybe that becomes more of the norm. Coaches that I speak with in the NCAA 
they don't want 18-year-old freshmen for the most part. I mean, there are exceptional guys, obviously, that you make an exception for. But guys coming out of high school, NCAA coaches would prefer that they play a year, maybe two, in junior before they come to the NCAA. So they want guys who are 19, 20. True freshmen these days, it happens, but it's far from the norm. So maybe guys go to the NTDP, play as 16-year-olds for the U17 team and as 17-year-olds for the U18 team, and then play at least their 18-year-old year in the CHL and maybe a 19-year-old year in the CHL as well. It would be kind of weird then from going playing you know, a pro schedule like we see them do in the CHL to then going back to only playing on the weekends like they do in college hockey. But the advantage of the college hockey route is playing against bigger and older, stronger guys and that extra practice time for skill and physical development. I, I can really see NHL teams wanting this to happen. Next week on the program, we're going to have uh, Chris Peters from Flow Hockey on. We're going to talk about this uh, some more. He had a conversation with Brad Schlossman uh, last week on uh, Chris's podcast. It was really informative as well. So this subject uh, is going to be a, an interesting one to keep tabs on moving forward, no question. All right, when we come back, I think we're going to turn on the 2024 Draft Spotlight for a couple of segments. I've been chasing these two guys for a long time, and I believe both of them are going to happen, but they haven't happened yet, so I don't want to jinx it just yet. But hopefully, we'll do that when we come back. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Down there by Zaboral. Puck comes free. Ward's clearing play to the line. It skips out to center. Valeno trying to break shorthanded. Joe Valeno, penalty coming. Valeno deking, scores! Joe Valeno, shorthanded goal! Hey, it's Joe Valeno from the Drummondville Voltageurs, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Kings are Edmonton's first choice for family fun. Your Edmonton Oil Kings are back in the thick of it, taking the WHL by storm. And you can be right there cheering them on. Great family entertainment starts at just $20 a seat or never miss a game with season seats as low as $9 per game. Thrilling Western Hockey League action, amazing theme nights, and special price kids food combos at every home game for $10 or less. The entertainment value is king-sized. Secure your seat for the next action-packed, exciting Oil Kings home game today at oilkings.ca. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Yeah, there were horses and a man on fire, and I killed a guy with a trident. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. We're going to uh, call an audible at the line. Was hoping to have a conversation with a, uh, a draft eligible player out of the Ontario Hockey League, but we're going to put that on hold for now. Instead, hey, we're going to upgrade our guest and uh, pleased to be joined now by the head coach of the Oshawa Generals, a uh, former. Edmonton Oil Kings head coach it's Derek Laxdahl back on the Pipeline Show. Uh, coach, how are you? I'm not too bad, Guy. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. I'm, I'm pleased that you were able to uh, join me here on short notice. Uh, and uh, your team's playing some pretty good hockey right now, so we got lots to talk about. Uh, what's the mood like uh, around the club right now? Well, the mood's pretty good, Guy. Like we uh, obviously uh, the last two months here, we've had a pretty good stretch. I think we're uh, 18 or 19, five and four, mm-hmm. and our team is really growing in the right direction. We're still, I think, we're the fourth youngest team in the OHL. So, you know, obviously the future looks bright for this organization. And uh, you know, it's it's been a long road coming in here last year when we were kind of at the bottom of the cycle. 
and trying to rebuild the culture that was, uh, you know, get it going in the right direction. And uh, with a couple trades and obviously uh, some of the young kids taking a step, it's been uh, obviously it's been a great year so far. This has been very enjoyable. Well, some of those trades and young guys to taking a step forward, also getting a guy like Callum Ritchie, who's now fully healthy and playing up to his potential. Man, he's been lights out. I have to think that the success of the team over the last couple of months and his return to play here can't be a coincidence. No, it's not a coincidence. You know, if you look at, uh, I think we were 8-14 and 14 the first, uh, whatever, 22 games of the season, and we lost nine one-goal games. So we were right there. And then uh, when, when Cal came back, he obviously put us over the top. He's just averaging around almost two points a game for us here right now. And mm-hmm. I think he just put up 26 points in the month of January. So um, he's been really good for us. And then obviously some of the development of our draft eligible players has, has really uh, helped our hockey club. And then, you know, uh, Jacob Oster, our, our 19-year-old goalie, he has really benefited from the structure of our team. And he's just, I think he went from 13th all the way up to number two in, in the uh, OHL in the goaltending department. So, uh, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, uh, things there. The structure of the team and obviously the, the returning of Cal Ritchie has really helped our group. All right, well, let's uh, talk about uh, the makeup of the club. And uh, you mentioned uh, Oster in net, and obviously you can have success without a goaltender who is uh, leading the way and providing that big backstop for you. Can you take me through his development from what you've seen, not just this year, but in years past, and to get to, get to where he is now in his development? He's come a long way, clearly. He has. You know, I think at 17, he was with the Guelph uh, Storm there, and he had a really good year at 17. And then his 18-year-old year, he really struggled. And last year, uh, our goaltending wasn't very good with our, with our team here. And we actually flipped him for uh, a young, or a player named Patrick Lever. Mm. And we ended up getting a goaltender that was a year younger. And they had a goaltender who was just, you know, kind of on his way out. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until probably, uh, you know, October, November, where he started finally trying to, you know, reaching his potential as a goaltender. Big kid, 6'3", moves well moves the puck well, and uh, he's obviously, uh, you know, with the coaching of the goalie coach, Mike Parson, they've done a great job of getting him to that position. But, you know, so hopefully he takes a step in, uh, you know, going forward and down the stretch here. And, you know, we, we just, you know, for the team that we had last year, just to get in that first round of playoffs, and just to get that exposure and experience for these guys, I think it's paying dividends right now for a guy like Jacob Oster moving forward. And uh, I know he's starting to raise some eyebrows and get some looks. So yeah. that's exactly what you want. You want to see kids and your team have success and, and kids get opportunities. Derek Laxdahl, head coach of the Oshawa Generals, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. I'm looking at your blue line, and I haven't seen you play a lot of games this year. I think I've tuned into a couple. Uh, but when I'm just looking at the, the roster, what stands out on your de- defense is you got a lot of size back there. I wonder, is that by design? I mean, there's... There's only one player who's under 6-1. Well, you know what's interesting? The year we won the uh, Memorial Cup in 2014, mm-hmm. uh, I was just talking to the head head scout here and the GM and the owner. One thing they tried to do was mold their team after us. We had a pretty big, heavy team, uh, especially, you know, uh, some of our size with, you know, the Mirazes and the Griffin Reinhardts. And they really tried to go with the size. And, and what we did is, like, some of our, our kids, like Ben Danford, 6'2", 6'3", Betkowski, 17, he's 6'4". And we got a couple of kids who don't play very much, McDonnell, 6'6". Six, six. And then we picked up uh, Connor Punnett from Barry, who's a six foot two defenseman. It's got some size. And, and then we got a little speedster. We got a little, uh, you know, like uh, almost like, uh, oh, hard to say the name here, but uh, D'Amato, um, he's a guy that can skate, probably play forward for us, but he's a guy that he's a breakout machine, breaks a lot of, probably got that Hughes mentality, right? Just a very offensive defense and skates well. And so our back end, is, it's got some good size, but we're still young, like, We've got two draft-eligible kids, uh, Ben Danford 
and Luca Morelli, who I think are rated in that second, third round range. And they're two totally different defensemen. So it really rounds out um, the chemistry of our back end, what we're trying to build there. And, and we picked up uh, uh, Zach Sandu for Guelph, the deadline with Punnett, and it just kind of rounded out our back end. And one of the things we had, we had six right-handed shots on our back end at one time, and we wanted to, to sprinkle the infield with a couple lefties, and that's where Sandu and Punnett came in. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, while I have, you should give us a, a scouting report on Morelli and uh, and Danford, since you said they're uh, draft eligible guys here. <clears throat> well, Danford is you know Danford's the type of guy you just you know you talk about a character kid that just does everything right. Like he's a shot blocking machine, skates very well. You know he's a type of guy that's going to eat up a ton of minutes and just you know that Petrangelo type mold. You know just a, a big guy that moves well, right shot. Um, and you, you talk about a guy that will put on the line. I remember one, one time last year he got hurt in the game and they had him on the medical room and the doctor was looking at him. He's crying on the table. He's 16 years old. And I said, I said, Ben, can you go? He goes, he goes, yeah, I'm going coach. Don't worry about me. I'll be good to go. And so you talk about that type of character and he probably will be our captain moving forward next year. He just, he's the type of guy that just, you don't teach that. It comes naturally. And, and we're looking forward to seeing what he does down the stretch here and going into the draft year. And then uh, Luca Morelli, he's a later birthday, so he's 18, but he's draft eligible. And yep. He's a type of kid, probably just very cerebral. He's got a great head on him, sees the ice very well. There's no panic points, just you know, part of his personality. And you know, once he gets bigger and stronger, the skating will kind of pick up a little bit, the strength. But just some of the things, he's got a lot of that Adam Fox of New York Rangers in him. Just He just sees the ice very well, and uh, he's got that patience, that extra second where he can make that play under a stick or over a stick or around the player. Um, and you know he just and he he doesn't defend with his size. He defends with his smarts, right? He gets in good body position. And a player that the fans would know probably in Edmonton would be he probably has a lot of Mark Pissick in him. Hmm, pretty reliable guy, that's for sure. Then exactly. Twenty twenty two must have been a pretty darn good uh, draft year for the uh, Generals because you got Danford in the first round there, uh, and then when as you go up front, Beckett Seneca also a first round pick in that same draft class. And if we're talking about draft eligible guys. I know he's sort of the marquee name, uh, or one of them, out of the OHL this season, at least when it comes to the forwards. Uh, I have to ask you about Beckett Seneca. Well, you know what, Beckett, um, he came in here last year at 16, and uh, I think when he got drafted, I believe he was 5'10", and by the time he got the training camp, he was 6'2 and a half, almost 6'3", <laughs> and he grew so much. But you know, usually those kids are kind of gangly and kind of awkward, and he really had some coordination. Some of the stuff he did last year at 16 was quite incredible and how he would, he would attack defensemen and take him on one-on-one. And, and obviously we're working with him on, you know, some of his strength in the skating, and, and it's really taken off here. And, you know, to be honest with you, he, he's had just an okay first half, and I really started to see him kind of, you know, pick it up right now. And he's, he, he would probably probably got a lot of gets laughing. You know, big guy, handles the puck well, got a bit of a mean streak in him, but just uh, very creative, and the puck just seems to fall him all over the ice. And, one of the biggest things we're trying to teach him, we don't want to take away that one-on-one capability, but we want him to try and use his teammates a little bit more. And that's one thing he does sometimes is he defaults to passing too much. And, and I think he's what, got 16 or 17 goals. I'd like to see him around about that 25 mark right now because he does have that opportunity. But he's just he's learning to use his size. He's learning to use his reach. and um, He's a very dynamic player. I don't think I had a player like him when I was with the uh, Oil Kings up front. Hmm. and just it just shows you how skilled this kid is. I know just talking to a lot of the scouts, uh, they feel he's the best forward out of this draft class, out of the OHL. So I think his second half is really going to dictate uh, where he ends up going. 
I know a lot of the scouts like him. I think his pro- they heard his prospect game was outstanding, so uh, I'm looking to see how he finishes down the stretch here. Well, looking forward to having the chat with him, hopefully, uh, after the season. Uh, so that's Beckett Seneca. We already talked about Cal Ritchie. Who else are your go-to guys up front? Well, you know what? We've got a, a second-round pick from the Minnesota Wild, uh, Rasmus Kupalainen, and he played for the, uh, the Finnish uh, national team at the World Juniors this year. And there's a player that just, you know, he's a big, strong, got a lot, little bit of uh, dry side in him, big, strong, heavy guy that hangs on the puck well, He's not afraid to go into traffic. He just he's a he's a he's a workhorse for us, and uh, he's been a great Euro draft for us. He's like six foot three. He's a big, heavy guy that the puck just sticks to him. And uh, you know he's uh, you know he's a type of player where he, he came to North America to work on his offense, and mm-hmm. he's had a really good year for us. I think he's got like forty some odd points right now. So he's been a really good fit for us, and he plays the winger, plays the middle. And then the other guy we have is uh, Dylan Rubik. He's six foot seven, drafted by the Rangers, and he's really, you know, he took off last year, got drafted in the sixth round, and he's been a real good player for us down the stretch here. Um, he just he skates so well for a big man. It's just you know some of these big guys take a little bit longer to get going during the year. Um, you know, sometimes it looks like they're they're that fast, but when he gets a stride and gets a step on the fence, he's he's hard to handle. So. I'm looking forward to see what he does. Uh, he's a 19-year-old, probably uh, gets signed by the Rangers and moves on, but I'm looking forward to see him down the stretch. you got a 20-year-old as well that's uh, that's filling the, the net this year. He's got 27 goals, uh, Stuart Roloffs. Now, not drafted, so a guy playing for uh, a parole contract, uh, what sort of uh, a player is he, and is he getting some attention? Well, you know, he's a former first-round pick in the OHL to the London Knights. I think uh, he was brought in here on his 18-year-old year, and then last year he had a really good year for us, and this year he's uh, he started really slow. Like, if you look at his last month and a half, I, I bet you he's put up 30 points, probably 20 goals. He's been he's been on fire. So he's he is a, a big, uh, solid left winger that skates very well, um, and he's not shy to go to the net, and he shoots the puck a ton. So, um, like, I look at guys that got uh, pro contracts when I was the Oaks. I look at uh, Reed Petrick. I look at Trevor Cheek. Mm-hmm. This player, he's a better player than both those guys. So I'm interested to see if he does get anything uh, down the stretch here. And uh, we're going to rely on him heavily. So if he gets to that 35-40 goal mark, uh, maybe some team will take a, a crack at him because he's a big guy that skates well and he shoots the puck a ton. And, you know, he's a little bit of a, a late bloomer. So uh, I like what he does, and he's a great kid. You talk about pro habits, like his his preparation, pre-practice, post-practice, and, and games is is really pro pro-like. So... Uh, I'm looking forward to see what he does uh, moving forward here and down the stretch. Derek Laxdahl, head coach of the Oshawa Generals, uh, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, elephant in the room, I'm not going to ask you a lot about Connor Lockhart, uh, but just the absence. We know he's suspended indefinitely. He's one of your guys up front. He's in your top six of scoring. So do you treat this now like sort of a season-ending injury? Uh, how do you? Is this a rallying point for the rest of the guys that kind of brings the team together? How do you move forward? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head here. Obviously, it's something that's uh, it's out of our hands here, and out of our control, and, and uh, moving forward here, uh, we just have to, exactly what you said, we just have, to, it's got to be a rallying point around our dress room, and we just have to treat it as, you know, he's still part of the family here, and we just got to wait till uh, whatever's going on plays out, and then we just got to make sure that we are, uh, we're ready to take him back when that happens, and then go from there. But obviously, he was a big part of the trade, and we brought him in here. Uh, if you look at that early, late November, early December, he, you know, I think he had three hat-tricks in about six games and you know he's a he's a little fire plug that can score and obviously he's trying to play for a contract and an opportunity here so mm-hmm. 
Um, hopefully in the future that we get to see him back here in, in a Jenny's uniform. Big weekend coming up. You got Flint on Friday. Uh, that's a home game and then a home game against the, uh, the mighty London Knights. That'll be a big one in the standings for sure. How do you prep for both of those games? And specifically with London coming in, how do you make sure your guys aren't looking at past Flint uh, to that London game and, and are uh, taking care of business on Friday? Well, you know what? We, uh, we, uh, we played the game on Tuesday. There. It was a tough day for us with all that stuff that was going down. But, you know, tomorrow night we're going to play one of our young goaltenders, uh, Noah Bender, who's 17. He's actually about a six foot four goalie that has pretty decent stats for what he's played. In, and he's very green and very raw. So um, he's earned another start. He will play against Flint on Friday. And they're a run and gun team. Like they're a team right now that's, you know, kind of fighting for a last playoff spot. Mm-hmm. But they don't. They have no problem letting their uh, goalies hang out the dry. I think they got beat nine two last night by London. So, uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be we, we have to stick to our structure, and we have to stick to our identity as a team here uh, tomorrow night. And then the test on on Sunday is London's a very good hockey club. You look at their back end. They've got the Dickinson, who will probably be a top round or top ten pick. They've got Bonk, who was a first rounder last year, and they've got Edwards and a couple other guys that are, are draft or drafted and signed. So. Uh, they have a very good, well-rounded team, and you look up front. I think I think they've scored 22 short-handed goals. So <laughs> you have to be know they're coming with pressure, and you have to be at the top of your game. And and uh, we're looking forward to the challenge, just to see where we s- sit as a team right now moving forward. And if you look at the East Division compared to the West, the West is very strong compared to the East, and, that, and that's where we think we have a chance of coming out of the East. So you know, if Saginaw comes out of the West, and we can come out of the East. And, uh, you know, you can, you can uh, earn a spot in the Memorial Cup just by going against Saginaw if that works. Oh, man, that's going to make for an exciting stretch drive to the playoffs. And once the postseason gets going, uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Derek, uh, certainly wish you the best of luck, not just this weekend, but the rest of the way this year. Uh, great to catch up with you once again. Thanks for your time. That's outstanding. Thanks, Guy. Appreciate the time. The one and only Derek Laxdahl, head coach now of the Oshawa Generals. Uh, of course, we got to know him, though, here in Edmonton as a uh, the head coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings back when they won the Memorial Cup in 2014. Always love that he is pretty unfiltered when it comes to uh, his comments and his thoughts. He's right when he says that the OHL's Western Conference much stronger than the East this year. Top team in the East right now is Sudbury with 61 points. That would be fifth in the Western Conference, so... Looks like most of the powerhouse teams are in the West, and that is where the Saginaw Spirit are with 69 points. London sitting on top of the league, there was 75. Sioux Greyhounds has 67. Kitchener's got 64. Those are all really strong teams, but only one of them can get to the OHL final. And if it's Saginaw, then the team from the East that's in the final will also be at the Memorial Cup. And that's got to be what gets Sudbury, Oshawa, North Bay, Brantford all excited. They're all basically tied. Sudbury's got 61, but Oshawa, North Bay, and Brantford all with 58 points. Ottawa's still in that mix. They've got 54 points. So it's kind of, it's a it's a jump ball in the Eastern Conference. It's all about getting to the final, and for those teams, hoping that it's Saginaw that they're going up against. All right, we've got one more segment to get to, and it is with a draft-eligible player. So we'll turn on the 2024 draft spotlight. We're going to get to know Justin Poirier from the Bay Como Dracar that team is an absolute juggernaut in the queue this year, and he is one of their top scorers. We'll get to know him next. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Stutzler, back to Sider, across to Bach. Dominic Bach, great pass in for Stutzler, slides it back across, they score! 
Hello, this is Tim Schlitzler from Mannheim and this is the Pipeline Show. Done, buddy. Want to come over and watch the game? I'll make a big salad. Uh, I don't know, man. Steve, come over and watch the game. I've got a massive salad here. Yeah, my wife needs me to go shopping with her. Mike, want to watch the game and eat salad with me? Who is this? Did I mention I've got a bunch of Will Hawk beef jerky, too? I'll be right over. I'm heading over now. I'm already at your front door. Will Hawk beef jerky, because you don't win friends with salad. Will Hawk is the home of Alberta's best beef jerky. In Leduc, Spruce Grove, and West Edmonton Mall. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Nobody. Final segment to go on this week's episode of The Pipeline Show. It's brought to you, of course, by Wilhock Beef Jerky, Alberta's best beef jerky. You can get it anywhere in Western Canada by going to their website at wilhockbeefjerky.com. Unfortunately, that means my next guest not able to get some Wilhock. Uh, as he's all the way out in the queue, we turn on the 2024 Draft Spotlight and get to know another player who is eligible for this upcoming NHL draft. And uh, this week we are chatting with Justin Poirier from the Bacamo Dracar. Uh, Justin, welcome to the program. How are you? Good, and you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, your life a little bit more exciting than mine right now. I'm not eligible for the draft this year, so uh, let, let's talk about you. And, and for you and the team, right now, the Dracar are destroying the Quebec Major... I almost said the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, but the Quebec Maritime Junior Hockey League. Uh, you have a huge lead atop the standings right now. you got to be pretty happy with the way the team is playing. Yeah, for sure. We have a pretty good team this year. We made a couple of good trades at the beginning of the year and the Christmas break. We have a good uh, group of guys, good leadership. And you've been leading basically since the start of the year. There hasn't been a whole lot of adversity. Maybe if teams started to catch up to you, they haven't been able to hold on. Uh, that big lead at the top, that, that makes it's got to be pretty comforting knowing that even if you had a two- or a three-game losing streak, no one's catching you right now. Yeah, for sure. That's a pretty good feeling, too. But uh, like uh, the coach said, uh, if we play against the hate, uh, hating team on the league or the first or second, we play the same game. Every guy in the team need to play his own game, his own role, and the good things will happen. And that, I think that's what we, we do uh, since the beginning of the season, and that's why we have a, a lot of success right now. And for you personally this year, uh, we're 51 games into the season. You have 58 points. Uh, last year, you had 48 in the entire year. Well, actually, you only played 55 games last year. So you've already gone past your numbers from last year, which I think is probably what you expected to happen. But are you pretty happy with the way you've played? Yeah, I played very well this season. I uh, I am one year older, so I expect to be a little bit better. And uh I play my game, and I play very well this season, so I'm very happy about that. Have your line mates been the same couple of guys all season long, or has that changed a lot? It changed a little bit. I play uh, often with uh, Maxi Osnolovsky and Justin Gill, uh, two great players. Justin Gill is drafted with uh, Islanders New York in the NHL, so we know how to play hockey. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure, and he's he's got 73 points this year, one of the top scorers in the entire league, but... I mean, the three of you are leading the team in scoring, uh, so you're obviously finding some chemistry. What is it about the chemistry that makes it work for you as a trio? I think every single guy between between us have a different type of game. I know both both of Medovsky and Gills are offensive player like me, but Medovsky is a pretty good playmaker, and Gills is a playmaker too, but he can bring some speed too. 
and I'm a pretty good shooter. So mm-hmm. if we mix up the three three boys together, we have success, and that's why I have a lot of success because I play with two uh, fantastic. Uh, Line mate. Yeah, it looks like you are definitely the shooter on the line with 39 goals, and uh, it takes some pretty good skill to get you the puck, but once you've got it, uh, it's in the back of the net. Uh, Justin Poirier of the Drakkar from Baycomo uh, is my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, Justin, it's the, the Pipeline Show, it's a junior and college hockey show, so most of the, uh, the people listening right now will know about the Drakkar and how strong your team has been this year. They might know you as well. But there'll be a bunch of NHL fans who listen to this segment because you're a draft-eligible player, and some of them will not watch major junior hockey at all. Uh, so for that part of the audience right now, let's go to the beginning and, and get some background on you, if you don't mind. Uh, where'd you grow up? What do you call home? I, call, I came from uh, Valleyfield. It's a small town in Quebec, uh, Quebec City. Uh, I was born there. I grew up there since I was young. And uh, I play my uh, minor hockey in Chateauguay. It's like uh, 30 minutes away from Valleyfield. Mm-hmm. And now I was drafted for it overall in the KMJHL draft uh, with Beckhamo. And uh, this season is my second year with Beckhamo. All right, well, we'll get to the Q draft in a little bit. But uh, back to being a kid for a second. Uh, how old were you when you first started playing hockey? Do you remember? Uh, four years old. I started playing hockey at four years old. Okay. Who got you interested in hockey? I know you're a Canadian. All of us grew up playing hockey, or most of us did. But at a young age, what got you excited about playing? Um, probably my, my whole brother, Jeremy. Uh, he's now uh, an active player with the Calgary Flames organization. Uh, mm-hmm. He's four years older than me, so he always took me and bring me to the ODR to practice in hockey and my older brother gave me the, the opportunity to start playing hockey, and I now hockey is my passion. Hockey is my life, so I play hockey. Yes. All right. Well, Jeremy Poirier, that's the third-round pick of the Calgary Flames, uh, what, about in four years ago now, 2020, something like that? Uh, he was a defenseman. Yeah. You're a forward. Have you always been a forward, or did you also try uh, the blue line for a while? No, for me, I always uh, be a forward since I was young. So on the ODR, as you described, uh, were you always trying to attack him? Was he trying to help you out as a defenseman that way? Yeah, for sure. He gave me a lot of advice. Like uh, like I said, he's four-year four-year holder, so he always played the better uh, best league uh, as me. So he gave it to me some advice to play in the next league. Example: When I was uh, now, if I can take now for example, I I am in the junior hockey league, and he was pro, so I know it's my draft year. So he can he can give it to me a lot of advice or some some technique to improve on to be a, a pro player one day. So it's an honor for me to have a, an older brother who play a hockey pro right now. So I, I'm very lucky to have him. One-on-one on the ODR, you're going up against uh, Jeremy. Uh, who wins that battle? If you got the puck and, and you're trying to get past him, who wins? <laughs> I'm not going to lie. My brother is very skilled. <laughs> so on one-on-one in the ODR, it's pretty tough to win against him. But... <laughs> Now I was uh, 17 and he was 21, so the gap is is less uh, less big. All right, all right. You mentioned the uh, the draft in the Quebec Major. Uh, the, I did it again in the Q the Q draft. Uh, fourth overall pick in 2022. There's got to be a lot of pressure that goes along with being taken that high in the draft. Certainly, the organization is going to expect you to be an impact player because they used a high pick on you. But the fans are going to expect you to be a difference maker too. How do you deal with that? Yeah, be drafting four overall or first rounder. It's, uh, we have a lot of pressure, but 
being drafted in, in junior hockey league it's an amazing experience so i'm just happy about that and i know like bacon is a pretty good city it's a small town but i i came here for playing hockey to play hockey and it, it's a perfect city to play hockey fans are very proud of the players of bacon and they always hear behind us they, they share with us and i'm very happy to play my junior hockey here in bacon for those NHL fans listening right now that want to know you as a player, can you give us a, a self-scouting report and kind of describe how you play on the ice? We already know that you're a goal scorer, uh, but that might not tell the whole story. So how do you describe yourself as a player? Yeah, but like you said, uh, I like to score some goal. I'm a goal scorer, but first I'm a good offensive player. Um, I have a pretty good shot. I like to use my hockey IQ to create some play. I like to feed my partner to score some goals. I like to finish the job too. I can still play in my defensive zone, so. But yeah, I'm a pretty good defensive player. The uh, sheet that I'm looking at lists you at five foot eight and 180 pounds. So you're not the biggest guy in the world. I don't know if if those are up to date numbers though either. Uh, that might have been at the start of the season. What are you at right now? Right now I'm five eight, 188 pounds. Uh, yeah, for sure I'm a small guy. But uh, like I said, I'm not afraid to go play against big boy. I know. Uh, couple of scouts already tell me that I am a small guy, but it's not a big difference. I know what's my game, what my game is. I know I can play physical. I'm not afraid to go against big boys. So just play my game and good things will happen for sure. Yeah, no problem with that at all. Lots of guys uh, your size uh, playing in the NHL nowadays. And heck, uh, a guy 5'8 and, and almost 190 pounds would be like hitting a fire hydrant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, your older brother, Jeremy, is, uh, I think he's a little taller than you. I think he's like 6'1". Do you think you've stopped growing? Uh, my dad is 6 foot, my brother is 6 foot 1, and my mom is 5'8". So I hope for me I can grow up a little bit more. But like I said, if I stay at 5'8", I know I can find a, a spot in the pro hockey, take a chair in the pro hockey, and just if I play my game, like I said, uh, good things will happen for me. Perfect. Uh, there's a lot of guys uh, who I, I talk to on this show who say they don't want to. They don't want to think about the draft during the season. They don't want to be distracted by it. Uh, there are other players who tell me they'll actually Google themselves to see who's got them ranked where, and and they use that as motivation. Uh, what about for you, uh, Justin? Where, do you think about the the draft rankings and things? I try not, but honestly, sometimes I look where I'm ranked just to motivate myself. Like uh, if I can. Uh, tell you a little story about that i was not uh pick it up for top prospect game i know and uh i just take the top prospect game for motivating myself uh, i know a lot of good players go at top prospect game my older brother told me that uh it's not it's not matter because i i was not at that game that i'm not going to be drafted i have one guy in my agency jordan duma uh, since two years he was finished first at top uh top leading goal or something like that in QNGHL. He made some 100, 140 points last year at 18 years old, mm-hmm. and he's around like me, 5'8". He never do the top prospect game. So, yeah, I just motivate myself with that type of ranking and that type of uh, situation. That's funny you mentioned Jordan Dumais. Uh, when that season, when he didn't get invited to the top prospect game, I had him on that week uh, to talk about it because we bo- nobody could understand why he wasn't there. And it was very much the same this year with you. I was trying to set this up uh, during the week of the top prospect game because I thought you were very much the same guy. I didn't know you were in the same agency uh, like that. That's pretty good. Uh, A little motivating there to see a guy who was in that same situation you were two years ago who's gone on to have success. I know he's been signed, I think, by 
by the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets already. So just like you said, uh, not being at the top prospect game is not the, uh, the it doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to have success moving forward. That's got to be motivating. Yeah, I have the chance to talk with my agency about Jordan Dumais. I can talk if, with Jordan Dumais directly if I want. But yeah, it's a pretty high motivation. Like like you said, Jordan Dumais already signed uh, the third round pick in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And some guys uh, who go at the top prospect game are never draft or never signed uh, yet. So I just use top prospect game to motivate myself, keep playing my game, improve on the small detail that I need to improve on, and just have some fun. I think have some fun is the key number one to, to be a good hockey player, play my game, have some fun and uh, the good things will happen. I'm curious what those small details are that you still want to work on in your game. What do you think you need to improve on the most? I want to be the better version of the human, better version of the player. So all small details, like if I have the complete game, 200 feet complete game, uh, all the small details, execution, speed. Uh, my brother told me that to play in pro hockey, execution and speed are one of the most to improve on because the, the NHL players are so fast, they're strong, big. So just keep focus on small details and improve on all all type of any kind of situation to be a better player. I'm ready to do anything to to improve on that that type of stuff. So that's great. Uh, when it when it comes to the NHL, did you have a favorite NHL team growing up, or are you the type of guy who was cheering more for individual players instead of teams? I have a favorite team because I came from uh, like Quebec City or Montreal uh, around that type of area. So Montreal Canadiens, since I was young, is my favorite team. But uh, my favorite player since I was young is Austin Matthews. I like the way he play. Uh, for sure, I'm a goal scorer, so I like <laughs> Austin Matthews. He have a pretty solid, quick rally. He scores some goals. He's he's pretty sick and pretty good to watch. Yeah, it's not a surprise that you would pick a goal scorer like that. Do you study the way? that the guys at the NHL actually shoot the puck, carry the puck, release the puck, and try to apply that to your own game? Yeah, yeah, that's a true fact. I like to watch, like, uh, I know it's a new NHL player, but I can still watch Connor Bedard take some release. I like the, I like, and I love the way that he shoot the puck. He shoot the puck in movement, and I think uh, mm-hmm. really good. he's going to be a pretty good goal scorer in the NHL one day. So I like to watch that type of player, Cole Caulfield. I know the, I like to compare myself to Cole Caulfield and Alex Brinkett. They both are small players, around five eight, like me. Uh, they they like to create some ozone, pretty good offensive player. They like to shoot the puck. So any type of guy like Matthews, Caulfield, Bed, or Ovechkin, I like to use uh, that type of uh, of guy like a model for me to to improve on my game and my game compare my game to. In the summer or when hockey is done at the end of the year. What do you like to do? How do you spend your time? Uh, because it can't be hockey uh, 365 days a year. Like a normal hockey player, I like to play golf in the summer. Uh, I like to I like to go fishing with my my family, pastime with my friends. Because uh, in Beckham, all my friends is not already here with me. So when I come home, came back home, I like to go see my friends, play some golf, and yeah, go fishing with my family. All right. Well, when I get those two answers, and those are the two I get the most: golfing and fishing. Uh, first question is golf course. What's your favorite golf course to play? It doesn't have to be a, a world famous course, just one that you really enjoy. Maybe where you played your best round. Yeah, I'd probably say in my hometown in Ballafield, I was a. I have a membership in the, that course, so that's my favorite uh, course uh, for sure. Okay, and when you fish, biggest fish you've caught? 
Uh, probably a bass. Uh, I like to to fish. Uh, I'm a bass fisher, so I like uh, go fish uh, big bass. All right, that, that's the late. Is it the smallmouth or the uh, big mouth bass? Yeah, big mouth. Hey, well, just yeah. then, this was really fun. I enjoyed the conversation a lot. Uh, best of luck the rest of the way this year uh, with the uh, Drakkar and whatever happens to the draft, and uh, maybe we'll chat again one day. Yeah, thank you. Very appreciate Justin Poirier from the Bay Como Drakkar. Big shout out. Uh, thank you to uh, Jordan Robert for uh, setting up that interview. Been chasing uh, that conversation for a little while, so happy to uh, get that one done. I was trying to get him set up. Remember back in the uh, week of the Top Prospect game, I also had Miguel Marcus from the Lethbridge Hurricanes on the show. Another guy who should have been at the Top Prospect game that wasn't. Uh, and that's why I wanted uh, Justin on the show that same week because I felt very much the same way. And interesting that he mentioned Jordan Dume because that was the exact same case a couple of years ago uh, for the Halifax Mooseheads star forward. That is going to do it for this week's episode of the show. All four guests that you heard from, you could he- have heard those interviews individually if you're a patron. You go to patreon.com slash show, and usually the same day or maybe the day after, depending on the timing, those interviews are edited and uh, put up on the Patreon page and available exclusively for patrons for two, three, sometimes four days before a full episode comes out. If that's something that you'd be interested in, why don't you check it out at patreon.com slash the pipeline show costs a couple of bucks a month American, or you can get a 10% discount if you do it on an annual basis. So it's like less than 22 bucks. You won't feel it, but it means a lot to me. So I appreciate the support next week on the show. I do know that I have Chris Peters from flow hockey book. We're going to continue the conversation about the CHL and the NCAA didn't have a WHL guest this week. So I imagine we'll have one, maybe even two next week. And I know with the Hobie Baker watch list out, I always like to uh, check out the Canadians that are getting some uh, attention down south. So maybe we'll start that next week as well. Lots to get to, whatever the case. Make sure you can get out and watch some junior college hockey so that we can talk about it next week right here on the Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. And my name is Keith Flaming. See ya!